Well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed being with us for these last six weeks. We've been thinking a lot about the shape of God's kingdom on earth. And particularly, we've been thinking about how we play our part in God's kingdom. A kingdom which is future and eternal, but also a kingdom that's here that God is building and we get to participate in. If you think back to week one, we talked about um, how we get out of the bleachers and get into uh, the stands, how we get into the game, how we put on our journey, our jerseys. And we've seen Jesus do some amazing things over these last weeks. We've uh, seen people being healed. We've seen forgiveness. We've seen the paralyzed walking. We've seen the wind and the waves obeying. We've seen dead men being raised. And along the way, we've charted the course of this little ragtag group of disciples who have been watching, who have been learning, who have been in awe of the works of Jesus. They've been like these sort of apprentices, almost to like someone like David Blaine going like, how did he do that? And, and, and where does that come from? And, and how do you even begin to see that thing happen? But then you get to uh, Luke chapter 9. And when you get to Luke chapter 9, you get this huge switch in Luke's gospel. Monumental shift in the relationships between Jesus and the disciples in the life of the early church and also for us implications in how we see ourselves within the kingdom of God. And so we're going to go to our reading now and I want you to keep an eye out for the words that Jesus uses from Luke chapter 9 starting at verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, in verse 1, gathers together all of his followers and he says to them, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In a sense, what Jesus is doing is he is moving from, hey, you've watched me do all these amazing stuff and now it's over to you. I have done all these miracles and now we want you to do what I have done. Like, can you even begin to imagine how they must have felt in that moment? Jesus says it in Luke chapter 9 to 12. And then in Luke chapter 10, he says the same thing to 72. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says it to all of his followers everywhere. You can do what I've done. In fact, he goes on later to say, you are going to see even more things than I have seen. Are you ready to run under the sofa yet? All the things that Jesus has ever done we have the power and the authority to do. So this morning, I want to think about a kingdom of light, which is a kingdom of power and authority. That in Jesus, you and I have the ability, the power, the authority to see lives transformed, to see healings, to see demons cast out. Are you up for it? Ready to run? (laughs) But we're also going to see this morning 
that as well as the power and the authority which we're given in Jesus, we also have a particular posture that we have to have in front of the King of Kings. And it is a posture of humility and simplicity. That power and authority have to be accompanied by the correct posture because if you only have one of the two, you will either blow up or you will dry up. But when you have both, we get to see God's kingdom come in amazing ways. So just pray with me as we launch into this challenging passage. Well, hey God, we've been learning about, about your power. We've been learning about all the things that you've done. But this morning, would you help us to see more of what it means to operate in your power, your authority, but also on our knees in front of you. Amen. So what does it mean to operate in Jesus's power and authority? Well, here's a little definition of spiritual authority, which I found and I thought this was really, really helpful. It's meaty though, so you got to get ready. Okay, it's on the bottom of your screens as well. Spiritual authority is divinely authorized responsibility delegated to believers to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the lordship of Christ. Got it completely? Fantastic, you can go home. Uh, Well, you're already at home, so you can't go home. Uh, Let me read it again one more time. It is divinely authorized, so it's from God, responsibility delegated to the believers, so that's us, to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Basically, what it means is that God has plans and purposes for us as believers. When we became followers of Jesus, it wasn't just like, here's your ticket to heaven, hang on out there for the next kind of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever number of years, and then we'll do the good stuff when we get to heaven. But no, actually, when you became a follower of Jesus, Jesus had things and responsibility for you to take within his kingdom on earth. So how can we like unpack that a little bit? Well, when Paul is speaking about this in 2 Corinthians, he uses a particular word for what that power and authority looks like. And the word that he uses is the word ambassador. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. So I want you to come with me for a little journey. We're going to take a little detour out, maybe out of the room and back around in a minute to think about what an ambassador does and how it works. And then what I'm going to do is take that ambassador idea and relate it back to the disciples and back to us. So three things that you might want to know if you ever want to learn about ambassadors. The first thing is that ambassadors are sent representatives. So an re- ambassador is someone who goes on behalf of a nation or government a king, or even a company or brand nowadays, to represent and carry out the will, the purposes, the task, the priorities of that entity in a foreign place. Uh, In the UK, we have a US ambassador who works on behalf of the president in London. Those uh, ambassadors remain citizens of their homeland, but they are called out, they're chosen, they're particularly picked for this role to go. And they don't just go and aggressively set up like a walled embassy in a foreign land and put up like barbed wire everywhere and shoot at the local population, not like they do in movies and stuff. A really good ambassador actually goes to live in the heart of a community. They go to mediate. They go to learn the culture. They learn to interact with the local population. The second thing ambassadors do, though, is that they wield great power and authority. The ambassador doesn't just kind of like wear stars and stripes or get the flag out and have really nice dinners and just basically have a nice time. Actually, what they are is the highest ranking representation of a government abroad. They have the full weight and the power of the government 
behind them. You know, when an ambassador speaks, they are speaking on behalf of the government or the king or the president behind them. When an ambassador acts, it is as if the president, the government, the king is acting. And the third thing is that an ambassador goes in order to enact the will of the king in a foreign place. You know, a good ambassador isn't like the James Bond kind of figure who just goes to hang out and get all the great ladies and and just like not do anything. A good ambassador actually is an extension of the will of the president, extension of the will of the king. And in order for them to do that, they have to know the will of the president or the king. They have to know what they are supposed to be saying, which means they have to have regular communication with the authority above them. They have to kind of understand the culture. They have to understand the thing that they are talking about. If you switch to think about brand ambassadors for a minute, which is super on point, that's what we talk about a lot uh, in, in stuff at the moment. I found this about what makes a good brand ambassador this week. It says a good brand ambassador takes the time to know the brand they're promoting. Before they promote it, you've got to do the research. You've got to drink the Kool-Aid. You've got to be the brand. So an ambassador is so intrinsically linked with the kingdom or with the government that they represent. So they have to be in regular contact with the king. They've got to hear his voice. They've got to know his character. They've got to speak with that same voice of authority. Okay, so what has that got to do with anything about power and authority in the kingdom? Well, let's just think about those three headings again together. The first thing is, an ambassador is called and sent. It says in verse chapter 2 of today's passage, and he sent them out. Jesus says to his followers, I have things for you to do, and I want you to go. And he says then in in verse 4, whatever house you enter, wherever you go, stay there until you leave that town. In a sense, make great relationships. Don't abuse hospitality. Love people around you really well. When you became a Christian, God called you out of darkness and into light. But he also sent you out. I don't know if you've ever thought, like, why do you live on the street that you live on? I mean, you might ask yourself that exact question. I don't know. But a whole bunch of years ago, Laura and I bought our first home. And we prayed. But I thought the house we were buying was being bought because, hey, it was a good house and it was in a really convenient location between the city where Laura worked and the city where I worked. What I hadn't spotted is that God had sent us there for a reason. And six months after we arrived, out of the blue, God called Laura and I to plant a church in that town. Now, don't worry, you may not be called to plant a church on your street. I don't know. But God has put you where you are for a reason. God's put you in the family that you're in for a reason. God's put the neighbors around you that you have for a reason. He's put you in your school. He's put you in your college. Um, he's, he's put you in the workplace that you're in because he has things for you to live with. The second thing is that he has equipped you with power and authority. And that's the, the crux of what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 9 to the disciples later on, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That you have been given incredible power and authority, not because you've been trained up to be faster and stronger and braver and have more of a spiritual Christian sounding voice when you talk to people, but no, because you operate in the name of the king, in the name of 
Jesus, which means that you are invited to do exactly what Jesus said in this passage. He said that, you know, you should go and heal is basically the overarching thing which he's speaking about. You should be casting out demons. You should be seeing physical healing. You should be seeing emotional healing. You should be seeing spiritual healing all the time around you because that's the power and authority that you have in the name of Jesus. Feeling challenged yet? That's what it means when we go in power. And, and when we do that, when we operate in that level of boldness, actually it starts to change the way we pray. I don't know if you've ever prayed prayers like this. I pray them all the time. Well, hey God, you're probably too busy. You've you got a lot going on with COVID. You probably don't need to hear from me. You probably don't want to even answer this prayer, but, but hey, would you just like possibly like heal this thing that's going on in my life? When we move into power and authority, we actually change the way that we pray. This, this week I um, had a little bit of time and I was traveling from one place to another. And so I found myself outside of Hamilton School. So I parked up my car, tried really hard not to look like a stalker and just sat and prayed for a while. And I started off going, hey God, please would you do this? And then I thought, no, hold on a minute. We're, we're called to take authority for situations, for places, for people. And so I started to pray. I started to say, hey God, in the name of Jesus, we want to claim our city for you again. We want to claim our streets for you. We want to claim this school again for you because this is your home. This is where we meet. We want to say in the name of Jesus, would coronavirus end so that Christians can gather again so that we can see an impact for the kingdom in our streets and all those kind of things. And it was amazing. That was the, the very day that we then found out later on in the day that, that we've now got permission in September to go and start the process of, of reopening by just doing some service days uh, in that community and serving and blessing that local school. So power and authority is a real thing. And I, and I want to show you uh, in a very practical example how, how this can work. Um, you probably know that Vintage Pasadena is a very miraculous story, and it, and it really is, um, if you've not heard it. But there's another part of it that you definitely haven't heard. And, uh, and so I'm just going to bring in my friend Matt, who recorded this for us early in the week when we were talking about power and authority. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. Um, I love spiritual authority. Lindy and I went through a course with an organization called Novo, and uh, Novo's kind of MO is spiritual authority. And it was like a nine-month thing where we learned about inner healing prayer, physical healing, uh, hearing from God, prayer walking, all with kind of the, the filter of doing all of these things in authority. And basically my prayer life went from, oh Lord, could you please maybe to, uh, I bless you in the name of Jesus with peace. And also being sensitive to the spirit to, you know, to ask God, what should I pray for instead of just kind of taking it off upon myself. So one of the months in that, we had to do prayer walking. So, and they have these labs, right? So you learn the thing and then you actually put it into practice. So for the prayer walk, we had a prayer walk. So we went up and down our street, which is Craig Avenue here in beautiful Pasadena. And right down the street from us, about half the block is Hamilton. And that's where our kids go to school. So of course, we wanted to try this out and bless the school. Um, so we were walking around and just blessing with peace and with healing and, you know, just kind of walking around. And we did that a few times. And then in January, lo and behold, there's this big Navy banner that shows up on the chain link fence that says coming soon to Hamilton school, vintage church. And we were like, are you serious right now? Um, and obviously we've, uh, we've enjoyed vintage and become a part of the part of the congregation. So I guess basically what I'm saying is you're welcome. 
because we pray you guys here. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Such a good story, isn't it? Actually, God calls us to see things happen. When we pray, we believe that things change in the kingdom of God. So we go with power and authority in the name of Jesus. But the third thing is, remember back to that little list, we go not just so that we can see whatever we want to see, so that we can roll out our spiritual tanks on the lawn of the heathen of Pasadena and you know smite them down or whatever it is. Actually, we go to see the will of the king happen on our streets. And so I want to think in the remaining time, what, what does that really mean? What did Jesus do and how did he say that the disciples should go? What was the posture that he invited them to go with? Well, it is a posture of simplicity. And let's see this from verse, chapter three, uh, verse three. He says to them, take nothing for the journey. Take no staff, take no bag, take no bread, take no money. Don't even take an extra shirt. Now, that is a kind of strange thing to say, right? I mean, he's not exactly saying, hey, don't take the kitchen sink. You don't need to take like 27 changes of clothing. You know, you don't need to bring a million dollars. He's literally saying to them, go with nothing when you go in my name. Like, why would you even say that? That's a strange thing, it seems. Well, in order to understand that, you actually need to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. And if you look in Genesis chapter one and two, when God creates Adam and Eve, he basically says to them, hey, I love you. I've created you with plans and purposes. I'm gonna put huge power and authority in your hands to rule over the whole created order. But I want you to put me first. I'm gonna be in control of your life. I don't want anything else to get in the way of that. But of course, we read really quickly as the story of the fall, that very quickly Adam and Eve go, oh yeah, that's okay, God, but we, that's, an, that's, that's fine to a point, but we want more than that. We want more than you can give us, so we want knowledge of good and evil. And then later on, when Moses goes out and leads the people across into the world, wilderness before they go into the promised land and he goes up to receive the 10 commandments like the Israelites are all hanging around for a, for a few days and what do they do they create this massive great golden calf and they bow down and worship it it's the sin which the bible calls throughout itself idolatry and idolatry basically means we want the good things of God but we don't want him God is not enough we put something else in our life that says this is more important than God for the people in the Old Testament it started with a nice golden calf and then they went on and said oh yeah well we want you to be in charge God but actually we want a human king as well then they had this huge desire for power and for, for success and then they wanted to have these terrible different relationships and then like this whole thing about comfort and food and it just kind of went on and on on and on. The biggest sin that God's people ever committed was the sin of idolatry. And of course, if you read through the Old Testament, on the whole, actually, it's a really bad story. It doesn't, it doesn't end well for God's people because they refuse to bow and to worship God and to put him first. In a sense, power has corrupted them. And so, of course, when Jesus comes to send out the disciples, like he's wanting to say to him, hey, I'm, I'm just about to put this incredible power in your hands. I'm going to put this incredible authority in your hands. You're going to be able to see amazing things happen. But he knows you've got to do it from the right posture. You've got to do it from the right place, as the great philosopher Spider-Man says. You know, with great power comes great responsibility that as they see power at work, they have to know from what the motive is. Because as they go, it's not like they want to see, oh yeah, you know, God, you're going to be in control, but actually we're really going with our wealth. We're really going with our success. We're really going with our great fashion sense and our spare tunic and all those kind of things. Actually, what they needed to know is that the power that they had came solely and only from Jesus. It's so vital 
It's so vital that we understand this concept of what it means to have Jesus front and center and not make idols in our lives. But you know, like idols are a really, really, really like uh, enticing thing. And if you don't know what an idol is, it's basically anything that you put up in the middle of your life and you bow down in front of it. I'll ask you a question. What's the most important thing in your life? And I'm not, I'm not thinking about like, you know, your husband or your wife you've committed to spend the rest of your life with or your children that you've covenanted to bring up. But what's the thing which, if you're honest, you couldn't really live without? For some of us, you know, those things might be really shiny things. Like, oh, I, I'm, I know that I really want God to be in charge, but I really also want that next shiny thing. I want that next iPhone. I want the car. You know, I want the huge TV. I want, you know, whatever it might be. That's, that's, that's your thing. It might, might also be like, you know, a, a relationship. Uh, you know, like I, I want God to be in control of my life, but actually I also really want, you know, to find a spouse who looks like this and, and it's going to happen now and then I will be okay in my life. It might be, I, I want God to be in charge of my life, but actually I really want a career that looks like this. I want fame. I want recognition. But I actually think there's an even bigger one than that too. Um, and I just want to say this carefully, and I reflect on it in my own life as much as I do in anyone else's life, saying I think one of the biggest idols that we all face is the idol of comfort. Where we say, hey God, we want you to be in charge of everything, but actually really we want to be very, very in control of our own comfort levels. We want our lifestyle to be an awesome and amazing lifestyle. What Jesus says to these disciples, just live simply, go, go with nothing. And as you go with nothing, you will know what power and authority really looks like. You will know the difference when you are operating out of yourself and you're in charge to when you are operating out of who I am. You know, I come from a country which has been very good at power authority in the Christian sense. You know, over the last thousand years, we've basically made a whole history out of going into places from the Crusades to the colonies of saying Jesus is Lord and Savior. And if you don't agree with us, we're going to chop your head off. Power and authority so quickly gets corrupted because it becomes actually about our egos. It becomes about our pride. It becomes about our desire to be in control. When Jesus says to these guys, go simply. You don't need to impress people with your words or your clothing or how beautiful you are or how rich you are. In fact, it's very, very important that when you go, you go with nothing. I wonder as you reflect on your life, what is the idol that maybe God might be inviting you to put down? And it's not because God doesn't love you and doesn't want you to have good things, but actually it's because God loves you and wants you to have good things. They'll often say to us, you just need to put that down. I found in my life that almost every single time I've come to a major moment of transition, God has asked me the question, hey Ben, what if this thing never happens? Could you do without it? Am I still God? And what I found in those moments as I have laid down my dreams, as I've laid down my possession, as I've laid down my wealth, and I found myself like feeling very naked in that space, God has come through in amazing ways. Sometimes he said, okay, Ben, you're ready. You can actually take that thing and run with it. Sometimes he said, I've got a different plan. Sometimes he said, just not quite yet. But as we find out what it is to live simplicity, then actually 
we find an amazing thing can happen in our lives. What we realize is that Jesus' power is made perfect. What does he say made perfect in your strength, in your beauty, in your might, in your comfort, in your success, in your status? No, what does Jesus say? My power is made perfect in your weakness. And that is hard. Jesus doesn't say, hey, take up your hotel and follow me. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus is a commitment that can take us into difficult places, but it is the very place where we find life. And so we are invited to be people who live into the place of simplicity, into the place of submission, into the place of sacrifice. But it's a constant battle, right? In, in LA, in the West, in our world, it's such a difficult thing. You know, before Laura and I moved here, we had this big house, which was the church's house, and we got to live in it, and, and we loved it. But you know, it was completely full, like every bedroom, every room, the attic, the garage, everything was full because we'd basically like listen to all those advertising that said you need this and you need this and you need this and you need this and we'd fill the whole house. And then when we came to LA, we thought, oh no, we need to like really radically declutter because we've only got like 10 foot of a shipping container is the amount of stuff we can take to LA. So we spent a whole year like just decluttering, taking stuff out of our life, getting right down to like basically a bunch of suitcases and, and, and our most important like furniture and pictures and things like that. And then we came to LA and it was like, hey, we're living simply. This is so amazing. Like, aren't we doing amazingly? And then guess what? We've been here 18 months and guess what? Our house is full. Like our house is totally full again because we've seen the adverts again. We've been sold the stuff. Most of it came from eBay or from a thrift store, if I'm honest. But we've got all the stuff again. So much so that when Vintage Pasadena took on an office two weeks ago, I was rejoicing because I was like, yes, I can offload some of the stuff that's too much in my house into this office. We have to take that call to simplicity, to humility, over and over again. What is God asking you to do today? What's the thing that's maybe getting in the way from you hearing his voice, from experiencing his power at work? What's the thing which actually he is saying to you, I've got a better plan for you than this thing that you want to have in the middle of your life? Because as we do that, suddenly we become an open conduit, an ambassador in our streets, in our families, able to hear the voice of the king and being called out to it. And you know what? It's the most joyful, wonderful privilege when we learn to live in this space. In Luke chapter 10, when the 72 return, it says, say, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. My hope and my prayer for us at Vintage Pasadena is that we would learn what it means to step out that we would learn what it means to do life as backpackers and not as the people who necessarily take like five carloads of stuff on holiday. That we would learn what it means to live into a place of submission and a place of simplicity so that we might also live into a place of power and authority, that we would see lives transformed, that we would pray with boldness and we would say miracles happen. And I believe in faith that that can be our story.